welcome to the Reimagined Teaching Podcast, podcast for teachers about dreaming a better future for education um, for both teachers and students. I am super excited to be here with Alicia Johnson today. Talk a little bit about her job and kind of the unique school and situation she teaches in. So thank you, Alicia, for making time to chat. Of course. Um, I was just thinking today too, I wasn't like, you know, how do I know where to find these guests? Well, we'll start with what's bringing you joy. And one of the things I was telling my coworkers today is my friends and I do weekly game nights, actually twice a week. We go to a different, uh, the other couples typically host because our house is the messiest. Um, and they feed us, oh, there's three of us families. We They feed us all and we play games. But when I was in high school, that was what you guys did all the time that you're out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with all those big family get-togethers with all the kids running around and the adults yes. playing games and like yeah, twenty that was plus people. And there was a <laughs> traveling trophy, and yeah, that was always super fun. So my friends and I now do something similar. No trophies, but get together. And now we're all kind of in the same stage of life and having kids. So we already are like, all right, that's the kids' room, and the setting all that up has been really fun. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a treat. I have never been on a podcast before, so <laughs> this is my first time. Hopefully it all goes well. What brings me joy? Honestly, at the moment, I just discovered two fun new TV shows that I'm super excited about <laughs> having fun with. One of them is iZombie. Weird, crazy show. It's I've so only watched fun. a couple episodes, but I'm loving it. And then this new one um, called poker face so I've kind of got a mystery genre going on um those are the type of shows I like to watch so that's that's how I unwind so you know whatever's stressing me out after the kids all go to bed I unwind with a couple episodes of some tv show I'm binging and uh yeah my husband's like how can you watch mystery shows after like a whole day of stress and I'm like because the episode ends with a conclusion (laughs) that's right there's no like and then tomorrow, like, no, that's it. That was the episode. Maybe it's two episodes long, but that's it. Right. It does annoy me when those long running series, you know, have some crazy like theme that runs through multiple right. episodes for five or six different. I'm like, get over it already. Figure it out. That's <laughs> probably why. Because I like to have that conclusion at the end of the, t- at right. the end of the 50 minutes. <laughs> right. There's a very real problem. And at the end of 50 minutes, we're done. We can move on. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> Um, so can we start by just telling us a little bit about what is your job and what does your classroom look like? Right. Yeah. So um, the school I work at is Open Wings Learning Community, and I am the director and the art teacher at the <laughs> school. So it's kind of a fun little uh, conglomeration of jobs. I do the art teacher part just for the fun part of it. Um, and it's, you know, of course, very part time. So But what Open Wings does is we cater to students that are, we call them complex learners. So for some reason or another, um, their parents have removed them from the regular public school setting or whatever setting they were in before they came to us because something wasn't working properly or they just weren't learning to what their parents thought their full potential was in the, in the, the, whatever environment that was. So um, a lot of our kids are on the autism spectrum or have high anxiety. We've been here for about 10 years. And when the school first opened, it really catered more towards the autism spectrum. And 
in the last couple years, we've really seen an influx of kids that are coming to us through recommendations from DCFS Mm -hmm. and things like that. So kids that have trauma in their background have really benefited from our model. Um, So that's a whole new section that we're learning more about, right? With trauma-informed care and all of that. Um, So yeah, the, you know, our approach is to is to really treat treat children very individually. Um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, my art class looks like most every art class does. <laughs> so, how many kids are in the program total? We have forty nine students at the moment, um, and nine of those students are fully virtual students or mostly virtual and come in for an elective or so in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, when COVID happened, we um, we went virtual for a time like everyone did. Right. But then when it was time to come back in person, there were still a number of kids that were interested in the virtual option for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of our virtual students actually moved to Texas. So he's virtual because he can't get here. Right. Um, we have a couple students that are still in that virtual program because of either their own health issues or or family members, health issues, um, and then a couple students who the social pressure even of our school was too much, and mm-hmm. so they do better with learning online. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, COVID for my family, I have a brother who is adopted, and so he was his adoption was right after COVID. He moved in mm-hmm. right before COVID started, and actually it was great for him to be virtual just for the transition that was already happening with his home life. Mm-hmm that he also just like, you have to make this transition work because you're here all the time. And because school got a little more lax through Mm -hmm. virtual learning and school's a struggle for him, it was easier for him to handle all of the the stress and trauma that was happening with his home life stuff with school being like, eh, just log in and then log out. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. For my family, for my brothers, it worked really well. Yeah, there's definitely a segment of kids that the virtual learning works for. So we are trying to um, expand that program a little bit to to see if there are other people, because there aren't a lot of virtual programs for kids that are not typical learners. Right. So that's um, that's a need that we're seeing. Um, so and I looked at your the website a little bit because I had heard about your program. I know a couple of people you would work there. My mom had mentioned it to me because you and her see each other a lot more often. Um, I didn't realize you guys are, what is the age range, the grade range you have? Right now we are K through 10th grade, actually. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So we have 40 students in the building that range from kindergarten through 10th grade. The the highest um, population as far as the most in the single kind of that grade range is really the third through fifth grade is probably our biggest single range. Um, we were split half and half our upper school and our lower school. So um, the third, well, so f- kindergarten through fifth grade is lower school. We have a couple fifth graders that are in our upper school program, which is fifth through 10th then. Yeah. Um, we don't really group kids so much by their grade level as much by who they learn best together. Mm-hmm. So we have three classroom groupings for that third through fifth grade range. That seems to be the biggest um 
the biggest age group that we get the calls for, right? The parents yeah. have tried a couple of years in yeah. the public school, something's not working. And so they're looking for other options. Yeah. And that's the grade range I taught when I did teach um, elementary. And mm-hmm. it definitely is like third and fourth grade when the parents are like, okay, we've done this a couple of years and it's still not working. Mm-hmm. What else can we do? So it's awesome you guys are are providing that. So one of the things that Open Wings advertises is that they do a lot of whole person teaching. And you talked about that too, as far as individualization and what works best for the student. What does that like mean as far as an educational philosophy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So mainly it has to do with even how we group kids, right? We have, uh, like I said, this third through fifth grade age range, for example, we were in two classrooms at the beginning of the school year and try as we might, there were just some personality concerns, some learning concerns. It just wasn't working. The classroom sizes were, the classroom groupings weren't gelling like they generally do and really creating that community that we look for. And so even just here at semester, we shifted around our plan a little bit. We shifted some people. We tried to figure out a way to do that. And we were able to split that group into three rooms and, um, and, mess with the with the groupings a little bit and while we do look at you know kind of where kids are educationally it's also their social um and emotional availability to each other and you know if there's two kids that really just are having a lot of trouble learning together because of interpersonal issues you know we can we have the luxury, which I'm sure a lot of the teachers don't have that are listening here of having a really small student teacher ratio here. And so um, where that's helpful is that we can um, really dive into some of this stuff. If I have two kids that are, you know, having issues with each other, I can pull them off to the side or one of the teachers can pull them off to the side during lunch and we can do a game group just with them. And so that's what we kind of look at for that kind of whole child idea is really looking at kids from all of those different vantage points. So we use the first few weeks of the school year to really get to know any new kids that we have. And then we come to conferences with, with what we think are a good set of individualized goals for that child and then get the feedback from the parents, um, adjusting as needed based on their thoughts um, as well. And then that's what we start with, right? So it's not so much that there's going to be a third grade curriculum in this room and we're going to adapt it for the different kids, but let's look at the kids. This person might be at a third grade level in math, but they're at a first grade level in reading. So let's meet them where they're at and make it our goal not to get them to grade level, but to move them farther along on that continuum. Yeah. It's just a really small, easy task, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned some of the components that you look at when you're trying to come up with goals and stuff or look at students. Is there educational ability, their social emotional capacity, which is huge. We have, because <laughs> um, I do ESL at the high school and um, and then I went and got my master's in trauma. And part of that was because I noticed our kids who were still in the ESL program were struggling with either academics or social emotional stuff mm-hmm. that was keeping them from making language progress. Okay. So when we're doing like a lot of my students, a lot of my students struggle with writing, especially grammar and complete sentences and stuff. 
But those lessons, when I teach them, that's when kids are tuning out because they're still thinking about stuff that's going on at home or stuff that's going on with friends. Right. So then they're not getting the information and they're not improving in writing. And then even within our students, like we don't, there's four of us. We all teach classes all the time. And so we had last week uh, an incident between two kids. They almost got in a fight, but then our students know each other so well, it ended up being, I mean, all of our, you know, probably a good 30 of our 100 kids knew about it and had taken sides. And right. How, how are we supposed to split these kids up? <laughs> Unless we just be like, okay, whose side were you going to take on this? You go to this room and this room. Like trying to keep the peace the rest of the day through all of our classes when, you know, we know that the kids had an issue that morning and we really didn't have a chance for them, you know, until later in the day for them to kind of come to some agreement about it, which the agreement was nobody knew why they were fighting in the first place. Right. So. As is often the case. <laughs> right. A bunch of teenagers like, well, why, why are you mad? I don't know. Great. <laughs> um, so it's awesome that you guys have that option. But as far as so educational, social, emotional, is there any other components that you guys factor into when you're trying to address students' needs? Or what kinds of things like help you make decisions as far as, I hate the word curriculum, but as far as like, what are you teaching in your classroom? And how do you, um, yeah, like where do those decisions come from? Yeah, great question. So, that is something that's really always evolving. So we do, we try, especially, and I will, and I'll make a, is it, it's different at the elementary and the upper, the lower and the upper school level, right? So at the um, lower school level, we try to do a lot of um, a project-based, well, really both of them. We try to do a lot of project-based learning as much as we can, right? So um, when kids can kind of marshal all of their different learning around specific um, specific goals and specific tasks, you know, they, they, there's a greater buy-in with that, right? Right. So um, every year we have a couple big things that we'll tailor learning around. So for example, we have a biome project at the end of each year and then they pick a different biome. I believe we're doing the deserts this year. <laughs> and so the kids will pick up some aspect of that, do some research around it for science, and then they'll write about it for English. And, you know, and for art, we'll do all kinds of art projects surrounding that. And they'll make up boards and do a presentation and all of that. So, um, and then, you know, theming, learning as much as we can around um, transportation or something like that, where the kids can see it. We do a lot of field trips and try to get out into the community. Now, that's one of the things that COVID made things difficult for us, right? Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to build that back up now. But, um, but making sure that our children can succeed in the community and know that the community is there um, and it. And for the community to see them is really important. Yeah. And for and the, for the community to see them interacting and using community resources and um, getting out to the museums as much as we can. We are, we're located right next to Southwest Library. So that's actually our school library. We go yeah. there, every, each of the classes go there every week and pick out their books for the next week. Um, they know the librarians there. They go up and ask for specific books and things like that are really important for us to be able to be teaching them practical life skills along with their academics. Right. Um, and then with our upper school, there's three main groups, right? Depending, you know, we have one group that's closest to grade level and that group we are taking 
you know, kind of statewide curriculum standards and looking at how we can adapt it to work for them. We have a group that's functioning very below grade level. And so we're, you know, we're um, focusing more on how they use the their math skills in their everyday life. So their math units are gonna be centered around something like planning a party. So let's go to, let's figure out how many people are coming to our party. How, what's our budget? Let's right. go to the dollar store and how many of these do we have to buy? How many of these do we have to buy? Um, so that kind of a thing. And then there's a there's a group right in the middle that's probably the trickiest one, right? Because some of them are, um, you know, they're complex, right? They're all complex learners. Okay. And so as much as we can, looking at their individual goals, but also um, our overall uh, mission is always educationally to push them further forward. Yeah. Um, there are schools out there that are more, um, a therapy center with a school kind of thrown on. And we are really more of a school that we try to be therapeutic in how we teach. Yeah. Um, and I think earlier you had touched on something else. I want to say um, the the other part of it, which is huge in our school is, is sensory regulation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's, um, that's a cultural thing that sometimes difficult for us to teach when we have kids coming in new, but that sure you can ask for a break. Our upper yeah. school's right off of the gym. And so you might need to run, you need might need to go out and run a couple laps or throw the basketball for five minutes and then come back into class. Because again, that learning is going to be a lot more higher quality when your sensory system is is in place and where it needs to be. Right. Um, that's such a huge thing for students, especially like a lot of our high schoolers, by the time they get to high school, they haven't been taught what is an appropriate sensory release. Mm -hmm. And so I end up with students kind of the extreme. One kid today, and I teach high school, so I have a sophomore, you know, a 16 year old was in my teacher chair spinning in circles in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yep, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I know from my own educational background that, you know, this is something that is regulating his nervous system and getting out energy. And then I have kids who, get so overwhelmed by the sensory experience of school and the bells and the announcements, they have their headphones in all day. Mm -hmm. And a lot of teachers get frustrated about it. And the kids are like, I'm not listening to anything. And I'm like, I'm, they genuinely are not. Like they're using right. them like <laughs> noise dampening earplugs Yeah, because the, the noise level is too much. My students, I usually, I'm like, take one out. So I know you're listening. But yeah, so but at our, for our high school kids, trying to teach them like what is appropriate or how do you even ask for those? Like, you know, when I ask to go to the bathroom, I really just need to like walk for a minute. <laughs> Can mm -hmm. I do that? Um, you know, you always ask to go to the bathroom. Well, this class stresses me out. One of the things that we have found, especially with some of our kids that have transitioned out into, into more traditional school um, experiences after being with us for a couple of years, is that it's so important to teach them to be able to advocate for themselves and to see like even what you were saying, what are some ways I can do this? I can regulate my own sensory system within a more traditional learning environment, right? Whether right. it is wearing headphones or, um, you know, whatever it could be, like you said, going to the bathroom, taking, take, asking the teacher if I can bring the attendance to the office, right? Right. Whatever it is that they need and being able to advocate for what, for the fact that they might need to have a quiet space to work or, yeah. um, a, a little extra time on the test or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's super important. And I think it's, it's very, I mean, they're not going to figure out how to do that on their own. So teaching them 
what it is they need and how to advocate for that is important too. Yeah. I know, I know adults who don't know how to advocate for that on their own. For sure. <laughs> um, what is like, I guess kind of, what is the goal of your program then? It's, I mean, it's really different for all of our kids. We've, we started as only an elementary program and we had some kids that got to the end of elementary school and weren't ready to leave yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, we have had some kids transition very successfully into other private schools or into public schools. And it really depends on the kids. And in fact, we're exploring a lot of that right now with our upper school because yeah. we have some kids in our upper school where they feel like this is a safe place for them. They're succeeding here in a place that they, in a way they've not succeeded in other places, but this still might not be their best placement moving forward because as much as we would like to, we can't offer everything a, um, a traditional high school can offer. I right. can't do a, you know, a pre-calc class. I can't do a biology <laughs> chemistry class, right? Right. So if that's their goal, if their goal is to go on to, um, higher education, maybe major in science, then they're going to have to, they're going to have to be in a different place for that prep, right? Yeah. So um, one of the kind of fun things that we're starting is these mapping meetings that we do with, you know, our 15, uh, 14, 15, 16 year olds, um, just looking at, okay, what are your goals? Yeah. What, um, you know, what do you need in order to get there? And then what does that mean for how we have to, we, we're preparing you here um, do we need to look at, you know, maybe taking a couple classes next year at your homeschool, whether you're right. still coming here for part of it, or, you know, is there some type of virtual learning that you can do either at home or even in our facility? So we're kind of in that exploring phase to, at the moment, to see really how we can best serve kids. And every time a new one comes in the door, it's like a, it's a, you know, it's a whole new puzzle. <laughs> yeah. How do we, what works for this one, right? Right. So That's awesome. What are some of the, I guess for you personally, like, why is this something you, this program is something you got involved in in the first place? Well, I started out teaching here. Um, I was, so once my kids all got into school um, and I was interested in getting back into education and so I taught here for a couple years and it, it just, it is actually, like I said, almost like I said before, it's just a puzzle, right? It's a puzzle every day trying to mm -hmm. figure out, um, you know, how, how can I teach all of these different kids um, and educate them in the best way possible for them while leading a classroom? There's, I mean, there's definitely attention there, right? There's attention yep. in that. Each kid needs some different things, but the classroom has to function as a community and there's, right. you know, seven hours in the, of the classroom day and then we're done. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think I, I got involved with it um, mainly because I was interested in getting back into teaching, but, um, but I stayed involved with it and I'm committed to the school um, because of the kids, because of the families, because of the, the differences we've seen. Um, and not just in individual families, we've had grandparents, you know, come to us and say, um, you know, this school has been amazing for my kids. You know, I worry about my kids yeah. raising a child that has special needs and they're under so much stress. Being able yeah. to see that some of that stress can be lifted from them means something to me, right? Yeah. 
so um, so seeing the effect that as it ripples out from the kid itself to their family, to their extended family and their community, that's what keeps you coming into work, right? Right. <laughs> so, and then even though they're, you know, yeah, it's not all sunshine and roses, but <laughs> but there's generally at least something each week, right? That you can say, yep, we made a difference there. So that's awesome. One of the other episodes was talking with um, a friend of mine about like how to run department meetings, staff meetings and stuff. And I said, I was like, the students are the best part of the job. It's the adults, the, the administra- administrative stuff, but right. yeah, working with the kids and my job is very similar working in ESL of like, you know, here's, and I do all the math stuff. So I do the geometry and the algebra too, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say like, this is what I have to teach for content. How do I make that work for my students? Is always, yeah, a puzzle, but a fun one, mm-hmm. usually. <laughs> were you, then you, were you a teacher before, before you had kids? Yes. So originally I, um, yep, my, my major, it was in education, K-9, um, with a focus in emotional behavioral disorders. Okay. That's what it was. It was EBD at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I taught for a couple years before, um, before I got pregnant with Becky. So, yeah. So coming from a traditional classroom and then your kids, did your kids go to like a traditional school setting for the most part? Actually, I mean, they, we did a lot of different things with them. So (laughs) they started, they did start in a traditional school setting. Actually, no. So Rebecca was ready to start school. She has one of these September birthdays, right? So September 30th was her birthday. So she was about to turn five and she was already reading. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to send her to kindergarten. Um, She couldn't get, she, at the time, she had some medical issues that made it not feasible for her actually to go. So, so I didn't, so I started doing just some homeschool kindergarten with her. Um, And so we did that for a couple of years with her. And then Darren started after that. And then they did, um, they did go to a traditional school for a few years. And at that point, I um, applied to be, to go back into teaching. It was not a problem. They did well. Becky, when she got to about fifth grade, um, really started having a lot of trouble with um, internalizing. She was in a class. It was funny. I went to the teacher conference for this, um, for her And I remember the teacher just saying, you know, this class is just really rough this year. And Mm -hmm. so I am, I'm yelling at them a lot. And, um, and I, and I said, and she said, and I can see in some of them and your daughter included that, you know, it brings her down, right? Right. She would, she would come home just defeated and, you know, all we just got yelled at all day or we just you know everybody's so bad and I and she would feel like it was partially her fault and she would internalize all of that and the teacher said it's not her it's not her but so um so that was difficult and then my youngest had started actually I can't remember it was my youngest had started school and had started kindergarten that year and um and I remember I got a I got a call from I think her choir teacher or her teacher or whatever, super frustrated. Like I could hear in this person's voice, you know, she said, she said, I just can't let, um, I just can't let your daughter be in the, in, in the concert if she doesn't stop doing blah, 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 blah. And 
I, I said, well, this is the first I've heard of this. I said, if you want me to help with any of this, I need to know what's going on before it gets to this like right. critical level. And, you know, she was in kindergarten. So, right. <laughs> um, which I get it, right? Like I've been on the other side of that. You're just trying to get through the day. You're trying to get right. all your stuff in. You're trying to get everything that's on your plate done. Um, but so, so that year, it was just kind of those two things. Um, I think Darren got in trouble that year for bringing little snap things to the playground. Like it was, just a, <laughs> it was just a mess. So I was like, I'm pulling them all. So then the next year I homeschooled for a few, for a few years and then they did, vir- they actually did a virtual school. Yeah. So we went all over the board. Um, <laughs> an answer to your, it was not an easy answer to a very simple question. Um, we tried a lot of different things <laughs> and they did end up back. All of them ended up back in more of a brick and mortar public school and did fine. So they, a yeah. different a different approach was needed at different times for them. So, yeah. Well, and as I have conversations with teachers who are also parents and now we're expecting um, a little girl in May, that's mm-hmm. one of the things too, is people are like, we just had to change it to find what worked for our kid. And I was like, right. yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but with all that experience, I guess, so my question would be, you know, for me as a classroom teacher, as much as I would love to break up my class of 21 into three groups and, mm-hmm accommodate all of our curriculum to meet them where they are it's not feasible and not right <laughs> it's outside of the, the bounds of my position what does it look like for me to try to approach a whole um like person teaching uh ideal with my students right yeah that's a great one <laughs> I think I mean I think even back to what you were saying earlier about the, you know, the kids spinning around in the chair and allowing the kids to wear their headphones, right? I think a lot of teachers, and myself included, when I go into a classroom with, you know, 15, 20, 30 kids, um, you know, there is a part of me where my anxiety needs to have them all sitting to what, what works for me for learning, right? So that's, I think that's, understandable. I think that that's a, that's a thing we think, we think that everybody's going to learn the way we learn. Right. And so it makes me more calm. If I walk into a group of kids all sitting at their desks, looking at me sweetly, ready for me to impart my instruction upon them, right. It's not going to happen. Right. Right. But, um, but being able to let some of that go and being able to say, okay, yeah, maybe flexible seating is something that some of my kids are going to need a, a wobble stool or my kid's going to need, or, you know, they're going to need to have their headphones in and I can assess that they're actually still listening or, you know, letting some of that go to be able to, um, to meet kids where they're at, I think is important. And um, the fun, like looking at the function of behavior, right? So mm-hmm. it's not just making everyone look like they're doing what I need them to do, but really seeing, okay, this works for this kid. They're still learning, even though it might stress me out a little bit, as long as it's not stressing out the other kids and changing the culture of the classroom, maybe that's something I can let go. Um, but, but I can't imagine, I mean, that's, that's a position that I would have a hard time going back into now, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the self-regulation as a teacher is huge. Right. Um, and there's, and thankfully, I work with high school, even at the elementary level, though, at the elementary, at least we did social emotional, um, like lessons, 
Mm-hmm. And so my students would come in, my elementary kids. I had a group, I, I think I told this story before on the podcast. I had a group of third graders who I had at the end of the day. And they knew that by the end of my day, all the stressful things had happened. And I told them, I was like, how I'm, you know, and they would ask, because that's, they've been learning in class, the zones of regulation, what color mm-hmm. you are. Yep. So they would ask, and every day I would preface it by, it's not because of you. Like, <laughs> you guys are the end of my day. It's everything you know, throughout the day kind of builds up, but I'm always in the yellow zone. I'm always stressed by the time I see them. And I told them, you know, I was like, one of my secrets is I like to walk. And I said, walking helps me, you know, calm down. So then when I would go pick them up from class, because I did small groups, these two boys would be like, are we in the yellow zone? I'm like, yeah, I'm in the yellow. And they're like, so we're going to take the long way to your class. (laughs) We're going to take the long way. And they would actually initiate like, Right. Walking laps and talking about whatever. And, you know, and I would start the lesson on our walk and be like, okay, here's what we're going to be doing today. What do you already know about the topic? Um, But to co-regulate with them was super helpful. And then now at the high school, same thing where I can say to the kids, like, before you even came in here, I was freaking out a little. So if we can try to keep the, you know, the lights are down a little bit. If you can try to keep the extra noise down a little, because I'm having a hard time staying calm but I have to, cause I'm the adult in the room. <laughs> so right. I need your help. And the kids really appreciate and respect that, like naming it and being able mm-hmm. to say, you know, this is going on. We had some issues a couple weeks ago with finals and kids being uh, not academically uh, professional during finals. Mm. And when I like lost, you know, and I told them, I was like, knock it off. Cause one, I know you know better. And two, we do our finals with all of our students in the cafeteria. So the noise mm-hmm. level and the environment is way more chaotic. So my, you know, emotions are escalated. Theirs are escalated because they have to do finals. Right. Um, but at one point, one of the kids made a comment about how I was acting the way I was because I'm pregnant. And I was like, no, because <laughs> you did something that you know caused a reaction, and because we're all already starting up here in our right. emotions. Um, but yeah, the co the I think there's a lot of teachers who don't acknowledge how their emotions play into their classroom management. Well, and it's and it's just such a good modeling example to make that clear, right? To say this is what's happening to me, right? And that makes it so that they have the permission or the ability to know, hey, I can talk about this. I can say, mm-hmm. I can think about what's going on in my head and my body. And I mean, identifying it is is the biggest part. And then we can look at solutions, right? If you don't know what's causing, what's making you feel the way you feel, it's really hard to figure out how to make it better. Right. So, yeah, and we've had a lot of conversations um, at our school, we have a lot of students with substance abuse issues Mm. and talked about how for a lot of our students, it's because they don't have social emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. And so they are turning to self-medicating. And I have a couple kids who um, I'm super proud of, but it is sad that as 16 year olds, they're like, I've been sober for six months. Mm. Um, And I'd be like, I'm so proud of you. And the one kid was like, but my head hurts all the time. And my hmm. stomach hurts all the time. Well, that's called anxiety. <laughs> right. But he hasn't had to do, he's never dealt with it. Because as soon right. as he started to feel that, and some of my other students, because most of our students are Hispanic, have told me, they're like, yeah, no, you don't talk about that in a, in our families. Mm-hmm. You know, they would rather us go 
smoke or drink than to talk about it. Right. So for our students who, I mean, I have kids who are 18 and have been, you know, smoking for almost a decade. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And then of course, but of course, if you were ever taught how to cope. Right. That's a really solid coping strategy. It is. That's it why works. it's addictive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. Other problems, but it does, it definitely does help in the short term, right? Right. Yeah. What else do you kind of like dream or hope that classroom teachers could take from a kind of model that you guys run? I think, well, my biggest dream and hope, I think, is that um, on a on a greater political level that um, that we can come to the realization that not everybody learns in the same way, that not everyone can learn effectively in the same environment. So how can we like radically change funding sources? How can we um, radically change our ability to um, to provide what the kids need, right? As and um, you know, I, I'm I'm excited that um, I think one of the things that has come out of COVID is the is the realization that anxiety is a huge issue for a lot of people. It does affect kids. It does affect mm-hmm. our students. Um, and so, being able to um, to really address that as much as we can in the educational setting. I mean, they're 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 with us for more time than they are with their with their families generally, right? Right. Um, at least awake time. Right. So, um, so being able to to really address that at a political level would be awesome. You know if the if the state could decide you know okay let's let's change the way funding works so that mm-hmm. if this kid is really not succeeding they're getting suspended i mean we had a, a kid come to us and in kindergarten had been suspended 15 times like we're talking kindergarten here and yeah you know he's got an iep we know he's got these concerns there has to be a better way than sending him home right. to not learn over the next 2 days it's not helping. It hasn't worked the first 14 times. So, you know, so then what are our other options? Does the parent really have to go out and find a way outside of their pocket to get this education that they need? Or is there another place they can go? Is there, you know, so I think that's my biggest dream, you know, big picture dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a student. I this year I'm lucky. My freshman I had is fifth graders. Mm. So I I was at the elementary and then jumped to high school. Now I have some repeats. Mm. Um, but I have a student who's a freshman and I I look through we're supposed to write notes every year. So I have all the notes I wrote on her as a fifth grader and I'm reading them now that she's a freshman and none of my notes have changed. Mm. She avoids work, she skips, she's defiant because mm. things are hard for her. Right. And so we just finished first semester. My class is the only class she got credit for, for of her all of her seven classes, six classes. Mm. All semester, we've been talking to the parents. We've been talking to the dean. We've been talking to the counselor. And finally, at semester, I'm like, it's not working. Mm-hmm. This isn't working. She got half a credit for the whole semester. Yeah. There's nowhere else we can send her until she gets suspended a lot more times. 
Right. And I'm like, but how is that, you know, helping her? It's not. And then there's like, you know, and that when there's a behavioral issue there, you add on to that, some of that school trauma. So we, if, when we can't right. coming in at this third, fourth, fifth grade level, they come in expecting that the first thing that goes wrong, they're going to get blamed for it. Or the first thing that they come in almost gun shy to what's going to happen here. They're, you know, right. they're not going to like me. I mean, we had, I have a student now that came to us this year and, um, and it broke my heart. He told his parents or, and his, one of his workers, you know, um, this school is different because they're not trying to kick me out, which it's like, okay, okay. Like, you know, we're still having issues. We still got to work through some behaviors, but if we can get to that level where you trust us and that's a hard, you know, the, the more they've been kind of pushed down in right. the system, that's not working for them. Not that the system's bad, but the system doesn't work for this kid. Right. So the more that they're trying to get pushed into this this little space that doesn't work for them, right. the more difficult it is when they get to a place that does work for them to that for them to even realize this is where I am. I can, yeah, you know, I can I can take a risk here. I can, um, you know, and you have to take risks to learn. So if you don't feel comfortable doing that, that makes it all the harder. Right. So I'd love to get them right away in kindergarten, right? But yep. the parents don't know that yet. They don't know it's not going to work yet. Right. Until they've been there, they've tried it for a couple of years. Right. So. Well, and, and then, you know, and you try it for a couple of years and you try a different teacher and you try a different mm -hmm. building and you hoping something's going to be different. But for a lot of our high school students, when we see you know, some of our high flyer behavior issue students and we have access to their um, their CUME file, it can look through all the notes. It's mm -hmm. not new. Right. <laughs> like the one kid oh, I have to remember now, I mean, repeated issues he's told admin before like i won't talk to you unless one of the esl teachers is here because they're the only ones who listen to me hmm. and admin was like okay we're like sorry if he speaks english fine he just doesn't trust other people in our building and i'm like well it says something about you guys mm -hmm. um but we saw notes from his like kindergarten screener that was like he just refused to participate and i was like yeah so this isn't new right Right. <laughs> like he showed up as a five-year-old and was like, no. Yeah. And we still put him through all of elementary school. He went to the alternative school for a couple of years and then back to the regular high school and then back to the alternative school. We knew this whole time this wasn't fitting for him. Um, and my coworkers and I have the luxury of our kids get to hang out with us. Mm -hmm. uh, and we get to follow them you know, for all four years of high school where the other teachers are typically one year and done. Yeah. Um, so it's a little different for us, but even for the high school teachers who only have students for a year, there is a lot of like, I'm not going to work harder than the student. This works mm -hmm. for most people. So if it doesn't right. work for them, that's the student's problem. Right. Which is unfortunate because they're children. <laughs> right. And I, and, and I mean, I get it, right? Like you open that box and where does it end, right? right? If you have a full caseload of however many classes and, you know, 24 kids in each of those classes, it's tricky to do. It's tricky to, you know, to even figure out if there is a way to do it. But definitely the idea of dreaming different spaces or even within our schools, like I said, our department 
happens to be that for students. Mm-hmm. But they can come and say, I don't understand what's going on. And I don't think my teacher hears me. And we can do that. Um, with COVID, it was really hard. Like we lost a lot of our after school clubs. Mm-hmm. Didn't come back after COVID. Um, a lot of our tutoring and stuff did not come back after COVID, where students would feel more connected right. to people outside of their regular school community didn't come back. I think the other thing, and I was just listening to a podcast about just creating safe spaces for people. Mm -hmm. And like you said, our students are with us for most of the time. Mm -hmm. And if our schools don't feel safe to them, they're on, they feel unsafe and uncomfortable most of the time. Right. How miserable is that? (laughs) Right. And in relationship, right? Like if you can't build a relationship of trust with kids or if the kids don't feel that with the people, their authority figures that they're with, right? I mean, that's huge, right? You can't, you can't relax completely if, if you don't trust the people around you. Yeah. So I think even just those little things of, you know, as a regular classroom teacher, how can you make your classroom feel safe, build relationship with your students, you know, even if it's silly stuff like, you know, in the first five minutes, you can take a breath and we'll start, you know, five minutes after the bell because mm-hmm. they might need that. Right. Um, can help, I think, so much in creating a safer environment for students. So then actually want to learn and be there. Yeah. Well, and I think like you were saying too earlier about checking in on their, like the zones of regulation and all of those things. Um I think at every level, that's super important. And, you know, because we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on in their home life or what they came from or, you know, even what happened the period before, right? That's Mm -hmm. at the top of their mind. Um, And yeah, maybe they just need a minute to kind of decompress and figure that out. Um, I had a kid the other day tell me about just just talking about um, this, the place he came from last year which was a great school but he said it was just too much right so there's 50 minutes of one subject and then boom I've got three minutes to get to my next class my whole mindset set has to shift to this next subject for the next 50 minutes and then I'm still thinking about the prod you know the homework I have to do for this but I'm here I am in another classroom and then that gets added on and you know and um and it's true right like that's I wouldn't want I wouldn't want that to be how my job worked, right? right. I, you you know, had I, boom. seven one-hour meetings back-to-back in a day, you would be miserable. Right. right. Um, so, so yeah, I, it, it sometimes makes you wonder how it works for anybody, you know? Right. <laughs> when you think about it that way, but yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your school. That's definitely, it's a really cool to know we have that program in our community. I think, and to, like you said, dream of what is, spaces that we can access or we could create to make students feel more welcome and be more themselves. So I appreciate you so much for coming and sharing about that. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, The Reimagine Teaching Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. We'll be posting on Instagram about this episode and other episodes as well. And you can follow us there.